Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. Welcome into the Wednesday edition of the Rebel Report. I'm Michael Borky. Thank you for making the show a part of your day presented by LB's just across from Kroger on University Avenue there in Oxford. The best place to buy your meat. Go buy C. Greg. Tell him we sent you. That is LB's in Oxford. Best place in Mississippi to buy your meat or go buy and get one of their daily lunch specials Monday through Friday. They are open seven days a week, though, so if you uh, have some weekend grilling inspiration, uh, you can go there anytime. That's LB's in Oxford, just across from Kroger, University Avenue. Thank you again for making the show a part of your day. A handful of things to get to for you. I've got some Kiffin audio I'm going to play a little bit later. Uh, made an appearance on SEC Now with Dari Noka last night. It's about five minutes. I'll play it at the end. Uh, took a jab at Feinbaum in there. Uh, towards the end of it, he started talking about uh, players needing to be allowed to transfer from a conference that isn't playing this fall to a conference that is playing this fall. And that's probably uh, selfishly motivated, but that's okay because um, he's right. They should be allowed to do it. And the fact that they're not allowed to do it or likely won't be able to uh, isn't caring about the kids or their well-being at all. And so uh, you'll hear that. Also, uh, he's asked about John Rice Plumley, and Kiffin made sure to point out that they are in the middle of a quarterback competition. Everybody is writing off Matt Corral. I don't think that um, is something that they should be doing. It's plumly, plumly, plumly all the time. That's all they talk about. And I don't think it's decided quite yet. I don't think it's that cut and dry. So you'll hear from Kiffin coming up a little bit later. Also, expectations. Um, we were talking about it on the radio show some yesterday uh, because that was the first time uh, we got to react to the full schedule on the actual radio show. And I think people's expectations are too high. Uh, when it comes to not just Old Miss, Mississippi State as well, um, in Missouri, the, the new coaches especially. Uh, so we're going to talk about expectations and this football season in relation to Old Miss and wins and losses and uh, this season. But first, I want to start with this story. Broke from USA Today earlier today. Uh, early this morning. It was like 7.30, I think, when I saw this story for the first time. Um the headline is two former LSU students say running back Darius Geis raped them in 2016 when he was a rising star freshman. Although multiple coaches were notified, LSU does not appear to have investigated either woman's claims according to their investigation. So here's what the story says. I'll, I'll just give you the lead and then some other details and we'll look at it closer. Two former LSU Louisiana State University students say recently released Washington football team running back Darius Geis raped them just months apart in 2016 when he was a rising star freshman on the football team. A USA Today investigation found that the woman's allegations were shared at the time with multiple people at the school, including at least two coaches, an athletics administrator, and a nurse. Yet the school does not appear to have investigated. I'll skip who Darius Geis is, doesn't matter. Uh, he was also recently arrest, uh, arrested and cut by Washington on August 7th following an arrest in Virginia on multiple domestic violence charges. 
In a statement, Geis' attorney denied all of the allegations and questioned the timing of the story's release. He said, quote, At no time were the allegations of physical or sexual assault brought against Darius during his years as a student-athlete at LSU. The attorney continued to say, To bring up such assertions after, only, after the Virginia charges were initiated certainly calls into question the credibility, nature, and timing of what is being alleged years later. Such speculation and innuendo should not be the basis for Darius to be required to make any comment at all. Um, Here's the thing, Mr. Attorney. According to the story, USA Today began reporting on this story on August 3rd, four days before Darius Geis' arrest. And the first interview for this story took place in January about the alleged rape. So uh, the timing of this story is um, nothing more than just a coincidence for Darius. Um, So that kind of flies in the face of the attorney's statement. So here's the thing. Um, There's a quote in here from Ed Orgeron that's getting a lot of play. And here it is. The former boyfriend redshirted his freshman year and said he steered clear of Geis because, quote, I probably would have lost my you-know-what on him. But he said LSU head football coach Ed Orgeron brought up the subject of his then-girlfriend and Geis about a year after the alleged assault, telling the athlete that he shouldn't be bothered by it. Orgeron said, according to the former player, everybody's girlfriend sleeps with other people. Here's some more. Um... One of the uh, women involved is a former LSU tennis player. Uh, Friends and family, school officials at the time did not believe the woman and provided questionable explanations as to why their alleged assaults would not be investigated. No one from LSU ever interviewed them or potential witnesses. The former tennis player's father said he reported his daughter's assault directly to LSU women's tennis coach Julius Sell. But according to the father, Sell responded by saying, I don't believe her. And a Title IX report was filed, but the women were never contacted. The other woman's friend reported her assault to LSU, uh, to the diving coach at LSU, who reported to the athletic department administrators. It could not be investigated unless the woman herself came forward. So the friend reported it, not the woman herself, so they did not investigate it. Due process is an important thing. I, I believe in it, as probably all of you do. I think you sh- the presumption of innocence until proven guilty is one that's extremely important. Ole Miss is dealing with something like that right now with Sam Williams. Had the same take now that I do, or the same take then that I, I have right now. And Sam Williams should be given the opportunity to defend himself without judgment. It, it's very important that that happens. It's a very easy decision for Ole Miss if the facts come out and it's shown that whatever took place actually did take place, but he should be given the opportunity to defend himself if it did not happen. Uh, Same thing here with Darius Geis. Uh, He should be presumed innocent until proven otherwise. But the problem is, if it's not investigated, how will we ever know if either side is telling the truth? And that's where the problem lies here. If those allegations are true and LSU covered this up, did not investigate this, it's abhorrent, uh, disgusting, and corrupt. 
and heads need to roll because of it. But I have a feeling you guys know what's going to happen to LSU, right? I mean, we only have precedent to go by. And that's nothing. LSU might be the most corrupt athletic department in sports. I mean, seriously. When you think about just the news cycle over the last few year and a half, two years, I mean, look at what they have been in the news for. And how differently it's covered than everybody else. LSU was involved in a children's hospital embezzlement scheme. A booster was using a children's hospital charity to funnel money to athletes or their families. The basketball coach, who's still coaching basketball there, was caught on a federal wiretap discussing his personal payment to recruits. A former LSU player was on the field after a national championship game handing cash to players. And now, apparently, allegedly is what I should have said, uh, LSU did no investigating when one of their athletes was accused of rape. Think about that. And nothing has come from any of it. I tell you all the time, I tell people all the time that college sports is inherently, that corrupts a bad word because when it comes to just like paying kids and recruits, I don't think that's morally wrong, to tell you the truth. I don't think it's morally wrong if one person wants to give 10 grand to another person because he's good at sports. I mean, why should I object to that? You know, I know it's against the rules, But morally, I don't have a problem with it. Because if one human adult wants to give money to another human adult for being good at sports, well, they should be allowed to do so. You know, why do I care? So when you you talk about college sports and corruption, a lot of people will just go down that road. Well, these kids get paid. Well, you know, who cares? But when it comes to stuff like this, federal wiretaps, hospital embezzlement schemes, Covering up, allegedly covering up rape. That's real corruption. And nothing has come from it. So when you think back on NCAA investigations, like Ohio State. You know what Ohio State did? Their quarterback sold or exchanged some of his memorabilia to a local tattoo parlor for free tattoos. That, that's what happened at Ohio State. That got a coach fired. Read up about what got Bruce Pearl fired at Tennessee. Reggie Bush at Southern Cal. A decade later, got reaffiliated with the program. Wasn't allowed to be acknowledged by them for any reason. Um... And then, of course, the most recent example, you all know how the old Miss investigation was covered. Uh, a column in USA Today, not the, the same person that wrote this detailed investigation, not real journalism here, uh, called what Old Miss did in recruiting crimes. That's what it was called. You guys remember how it was covered. The word corrupt was used. Remember that? I, I certainly do. 
the way it was covered and talked about nationally is still different than what you're getting from LSU today. It gets dismissed. Oh, it, everything is just, oh, that's quirky LSU. You know, they've got this goofy coach with this, with this accent. And, oh, he's so funny, isn't he? Oh, that's just Coach O, just good old Coach O, who's telling a player whose girlfriend was allegedly raped by another player that, um, you know, people sleep around. So get over it. Yeah, good old goofy, old Ed Orgeron, just, oh, yeah. This is real corruption. But LSU's made of Teflon. They are. They're made of freaking Teflon. The reaction to this, it's only 9.30 as I record this, but the react, it's not even really going anywhere. Local media in Louisiana has already said, oh, this is not a, a really not a good story for guys. Completely ignoring the other half of the story. But that's, that's what goes on. It's just blind eye. I mean, it's wild to me. But it's not surprising because this is what happens. But this extends beyond schools paying players. LSU has a booster funneling money through a children's hospital charity and nothing. Will Wade is still coaching. People bought that Odell Beckham Jr. was handing out fake money to players on the field. And now this. They're made of Teflon. But hey, let the band play neck, right? Where they say, suck that tiger, expletive, expletive. Let the band play neck, they say. Suck that tiger, you know what. Hmm. Where does this go? I don't know. I mean, you ask what happens to LSU, the answer is nothing because it, it never does. But the, these allegations, um, not good. If if it is true that they did not investigate these accusations, a lot of a lot of people need to lose their jobs. Outright, plain and simple, a lot of people need to lose their jobs. This is where a line needs to be drawn. And I've already seen some people say, well, this is... This is college sports. This is what they do. No, this is not what it has to be. No. Mm-mm. Nope. Nope. If something like this happened at Ole Miss, I would use my platforms to... If it was proven, I would use the, my platforms to call for the termination of everybody involved. I mean, that's all I could do. It's not much, but uh, this does not have to be college football. This is not acceptable. It should not be acceptable. If this is typical college football, a lot of things need to change, but I don't think this is... At least I hope not. But they'll probably skate just like they have with uh, with most things. So um, in the story, Ed Ordron was reached for comment, uh, did not, um, chose not to. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, because if it's, again, if it's proven that these women came forward with these accusations or these accusations were, were come forward and they were never interviewed, if it wasn't investigated, uh, a lot of, a lot of things need to happen there. But, like I've said, made of Teflon, man. I mean, they, their basketball coach is still coaching when he was caught on a federal wiretap talking about the strong-ass offer he gave to a recruit. Still coaching there. So, who knows? 
All right, enough of that. Let's turn the page and talk about expectations. So it was a conversation that came up on the radio show yesterday. Now, when looking at Ole Miss and Mississippi State's schedule, we do cover both on the show, so we looked at both. And a lot of people just want to go down the schedule, as we talked about on Monday night, the win-loss, win-loss, win-loss thing. And I finally just kind of jumped in yesterday because there are, and it was texters in the show, and it was kind of how it was going, that I think people are way overconfident in both football teams this year. But I I think people are way overconfident when it comes to the wins and losses of their football team this year. I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer. I just, I want to be honest with you. And I think that is what I did yesterday on the show as well. It's time for people to start being honest about expectations when it comes to this 10 game schedule, if it gets to be played in all 10 games, we need to start being honest with ourselves and with our listeners and, and, Everybody that covers these teams in this state need to start being honest. And a lot of them are. Don't get me wrong. Um, but there's a real chance. In fact, a better chance, it's more likely that both Ole Miss and Mississippi State do not have good records. It's entirely possible that neither team is very good. And that's okay. See, this bothers people for some reason. I can't quite figure it out because if they overachieve relative to expectations, that means you hired a really good coach who did a really good job. So I don't know why this bothers people so much, but there's a chance that both teams stink. There's a real chance. In fact, I would bet on Ole Miss and Mississippi State winning three games far more than I would bet on them winning five games. And if you look at both, and of course we'll focus on Ole Miss, but it got brought up because of a conversation about Mississippi State yesterday. They're about to run an air raid offense with a receiver group that is awful. And they're running a new, unique defensive scheme with a lot of new bodies there. So they're going to run an offense with, again, a receiver core that is not very good. And they got a transfer from Alabama that has one more reception than I do. And they're going to run an air raid offense. And they had no spring, no summer to get it right. And Mike Leach, in a media op yesterday, said he's going to have to simplify his already simple offense just because they don't have enough time to really get it down. It's possible, in fact, it's likely, that they're not very good. And that's okay. I don't know why that bothers people so bad. You have to put it into context. Contextualize this season. Mississippi State's easy games have been taken away from them. They were supposed to go to NC State, which people were just putting a W next to that, and that was premature as well. On the road in Raleigh against NC State, an established head coach? No, I mean, not that easy. And now they have, they've had no spring, obviously, no summer, obviously, And they're playing a 10-game SEC schedule with a new quarterback, albeit one that performed well in the Pac-12, running an air raid offense with a group of receivers that have proven themselves, at least for now, to not be effective. Now, they're recruiting well at the position, but that's going to take a little bit of time. They're going to run a 3-3-5 defense with some inexperienced personnel. And we're supposed to tell you to expect five wins? No, no way in hell. I like K.J. Costello. He was good in 2018 at Stanford. Kylan Hill's an elite-level running back. 
there's a chance that they sneak up and beat somebody one Saturday. But there's a greater chance that they get beat up on pretty good. Same thing applies to Ole Miss. Ole Miss didn't have a spring to put in their system. Uh, I mean, fall camp's going to be altered some. I mean, do you really think that Lane Kiffin could install his offense over Zoom? I mean, Ole Miss, their easy games have been taken away. Baylor was going to be a toss-up at best. I mean, it's not like they were just going to waltz into Houston and win that game against Baylor, but their three easy games have been taken away from them as well. Ole Miss is playing a 10-game SEC schedule. Their best defensive lineman is potentially gone for the season. They are young and inexperienced and thin on the defensive line. They returned most of their secondary. That got torched by everybody last year. There's a chance that Ole Miss rolls out a 3-7. and seven. There's a real chance that that happens. I love their offensive personnel. I, I, I love the running back room. It's the best since Deuce McAllister's been on campus. The deepest it's probably ever been. I think you can win SEC games with both quarterbacks. John Rice Plumlee's obviously obviously electric as an athlete, and I think Matt Corral does not get enough credit for his talent. If he's coached correctly, he can be a really capable SEC quarterback. I think they might be better on the offensive line than people are talking about right now, and the receiver core wasn't able to show it, but there's some talent there. I like Ole Miss's offensive personnel. There's a chance they sneak up and beat Five teams this year on the schedule. There's a chance that that happens. But there's a greater chance that the the record isn't good. So I think we need to manage our expectations. There's a chance that Ole Miss and Mississippi State win five games or whatever. There's a real chance. But every win outside of Vanderbilt and Arkansas should be absolutely celebrated. I've said many times on this podcast, the deck has been stacked against the new head coaches in the SEC. And now you take away their three walkthrough wins. You take two games away, and you're playing an SEC-only schedule. It's not fair to expect Mike Leach to to go five and five in year one at Mississippi State. That is a not that is an unfair expectation. And it is equally unfair to expect Lane Kiffin to do the same thing. Going into a season with that mindset is setting yourself up for failure. Now, if they find a way to do it, all that tells you is you hired a coach that did an exceptional job with everything going against them. That's what that means. So, again, it's not you guys. I think the listeners of this podcast, based on the feedback I've gotten from you, uh, you you guys get it. You're rational. You understand that this is a, a complex unique year where the goal is just to play games and if they get all 10 in if you can play a game on Saturday and you happen to win that game you celebrate it because they may not there may not be many to come by but having those low expectations is not accepting failure it's contextualizing the situation and it's not a good one it's brutal what Kiffin and Leach and Drinkwitz and Pittman have had to deal with this offseason. So, look, I, I said on Monday that, you know, there's a ch- there's 
there's four wins on Ole Miss's schedule, I think. I think you can see with their personnel, if all things are created equal, they can get to four. There's a toss-up opportunity, at best, for them to get to five. But expecting a five-and-five football team, I think, is setting yourself up for failure failure, and putting unfair expectations on your coach. And if they happen to do it, then, like I said yesterday on the show, hold a damn parade. Because if somehow Lane Kiffin or Mike Leach, for a Mississippi State fan, can get to five wins, that means they did a an above-and-beyond unbelievable coaching job. That's all that would be. And so, you know, somebody's going to old takes expose me. Oh, well, you said Mississippi State wasn't going to be very good and they won five games. Well, that means Mike Leach coached a hell of a season and you should be pumped that he's your coach if that's what he was able to pull off. But if we're out here talking about, oh, they could get to six, stop, stop. You're setting yourself up for failure. It's unrealistic. And you're going to be really disappointed. But they still are going to play the game. So like I said on Monday, we're going to still talk about them as if they matter. I understand. I was having a conversation with a buddy last night as we were playing Call of Duty Warzone where he was like, man, I just don't care. I'm just happy they're playing the games. I don't care if they win or lose. And I hear you. Trust me. All I need is the games to be played too, to be comfortable in my life as well. However... If they're going to play the games, I'm going to talk about them, and I'm going to break them down. So I'm looking forward to doing that more. Uh, I will be, uh, in the next few weeks, uh, arranging guests from all 10 teams on Ole Miss's schedule. And uh, we'll do a little season preview uh, with each one and talk about their game against Ole Miss and how they're handling COVID and all that good stuff. So be looking forward to that coming up. If the season has a schedule, we're going to talk about what is on that schedule. But first, I do want to bring you this audio. This is Lane Kiffin yesterday on SEC Now with Dari Noka. Uh, just a short interview. Um, I did think you guys would find this funny, though. One, he takes a shot at Feinbaum and ratings. He does make it a point. Dari Noka's talking about Plumlee, and, and that's all he brings up. And Kiffin responds with, well, uh, there's, there's a quarterback competition right now, even though he kind of said Matt Corral's name. Uh, slightly incorrectly, but that's okay. Uh, he stopped him to make it a point to say that there was uh, still a quarterback competition, that they both did good things last year, and that he's not just sold on one or the other, which is that, that's a great sign, being pragmatic like this. And I wouldn't count Matt Corral out, and it doesn't sound like Kiffin's doing so either. And then he talks about transfers. It's Something that I'm sure he really wants to happen is have them open up uh, immediate eligibility. He doesn't He doesn't think it will, but he's advocating for it right now, and he should be, because there's an opportunity for Ole Miss to get some really good players that don't have a season currently scheduled, and if the NCAA does not allow them to transfer and play right away, then, well, we already know this, but it's a self-serving, corrupt organization as well. You, you can't say you're in it for the kids if you... Stop them from going to play a season somewhere because theirs got canceled without any transparency whatsoever. Just ask the Big Ten. So here's that audio from Kiffin. He and uh, Dari Noka on SEC Now yesterday. Perhaps, hopefully, about to see his teams play in a few weeks. Lane Kiffin, kind enough to spend some time with us here. Lane, the idea of playing in the fall, I cannot imagine how excited your players must be, but how do you balance their excitement with the expectations they must have in this COVID era? 
Well, they're so excited to, to be practicing and hopefully playing. Um, you know, that's across the board. And so um, I just think there's a ton of excitement that they're out on the field and they're getting to do things. And the big challenge is off the field. You know, the big challenge is not when they're with us. The big challenge is when they're away from us, um, you know, and, and dealing with this and doing a good job um, because, you know, the college environment is not doing a very good job of this um, and the environment in general. So it's a big challenge for them. On the field, if we get to see it, we're going to see one of the most exciting players in the country in your quarterback, John Rice Plumley. What word best describes him? Fast. <laughs> um, no, he, he's, he's an awesome kid. You know, baseball player, piano player. I mean, 4.0 student, unbelievable kid first off. Um, so it's been neat to be around him. And, and we're in the middle of a quarterback competition with him and Matt Carell. And both guys have done well through two days. And we got a lot of work to do. And both, both guys played well at times last year also. Yeah, we uh, released the schedules yesterday, you might have heard. And uh, you guys open up at home against Florida. Lane, when you first saw that as your opener, what did you think? Uh, we were excited. Um, one, to be at home. And another, to play a top ten team. Florida, great tradition and, and always great players. And, and always a challenge on both sides of the ball, especially you know defensively. They always got great defensive players. And so, um, you know, I think it's exciting. You know, it's like having a big opener, you know, that your players can look forward to. Um, you know, has, has always been a good thing. Yeah, and then we all, of course, look down the schedule. When do they play Alabama? When's he going to play Nick Saban? Well, it's week three. We don't have to wait that long. You know, by that point, we all know the record, right? Nick could be 20-0 and 0 against his former assistants. Now, 20 seems like a nice round number to end on. And our, your buddy Paul Feinbaum, of course, thinks you'll be the first former assistant to beat him. Is that fun to hear, Lane, or is that rat poison? I think that's Paul just trying to get his ratings up by saying something people people really either like or dislike, depending on what teams they're fans of. Um, so uh, that's the last thing on our mind right now. We got so much work to do. Just I mean, we've had two practices um, with our team ever. You know, we never had spring ball, so we have so much work to do. And in the schedule now, with you know teams not playing in all SEC, I mean, I mean, almost every week. You know, we're playing a top 20 team, so I think we got, half, you know, half of the top 15 or something like that on our schedule. So let's go. You know, we're all excited in these parts because we hope that we are going to be playing football, as you obviously well know. Major conferences, two of them, are not going to play, which means a lot of really great football players will not play this fall. What would be your take? What is your take on the idea of players transferring from major conferences that are not playing to ones that we think are playing just because their league shut the door on fall football. Yeah, I think, Darry, with all the storylines that are going on, this one's been missed. Um, I think it's a shame. Uh, you know, kids are getting their team, their schools deciding or their conferences deciding to shut down. And so they can't play. And a lot of them got a lot of money on the line for the next level or they just want to play their last years. And so it's really unfortunate that the NCAA is not allowing them uh, to transfer and be eligible immediately. Um, you know, we're being told that that wouldn't even go into a waiver process. So I feel really bad for those kids. It's not their fault. Why can't they come play somewhere? So that, that don't make any sense to me. Is is that something that you are engaged in any conversations? Like, do you, you're trying to get a football team ready for games in six weeks, so I understand that. But as a head coach and a representative of a university, do you broach that conversation with people within the NCAA yourself? 
Uh, I've asked that question, um, you know, you know, via our con- conference. You know, um, when it first started happening, you know, are these kids going to be allowed to go play? And um, I-, I was told, you know, that will not be in the waiver process. And so, if they're not grad students, they're going to have to they're going to have to sit. And majority of them aren't grad students, so it very unfortunate for the kids, especially in an era that we're finally now figuring out do the best things for the kids, and this would be one of them. So that was Lane Kiffin with Dari Noka yesterday on SEC Now, and I mean he's exactly right, man. I mean, imagine the NCAA telling Penn State players that they can't go play a season somewhere because their school got their season canceled through ways that they don't know. I mean, James Franklin in a press op earlier today straight up said, "I have no answers for them because nobody's told me anything." It, to have to stop them from going somewhere where there's at least some kind of transparency and where there's a season it is sad. But that's the NCAA for you, and, and we shouldn't expect anything else. So that is it for me. Thank you so much for making the podcast a part of your day. As always, have a great rest of your day. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky. Go by Greg at LB's. Tell him we sent you, and I will talk to you again on Friday morning. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.